Our scripture passage this morning is going to be in Genesis chapter 37. You can follow along on your phone, on the tablet. Uh, the words will be on the screen. William will lead us through as I read them. And they're uh, mostly 11 verses from the first part of Genesis 37. And I invite you to join with me by standing either in your heart or physically before God as we hear these words from the book that we love. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph was a young man of 17, verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Verse 10. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. God's very word. Thanks be to God. And you may be seated. At times, it's hard to connect the dots in your life to see what God is doing. You can't quite see it. You're mystified because at that moment in time when you're looking, it's hard to see God's hand. It's not that you doubt his existence or doubt his love. But you're just wondering what's going on. The events could be like I father of our ancient faith, St. John of the Cross, called the dark night of the soul. And when you face the mystifying ways of God, you can choose to bail, you can surrender to the weight of the hurt, or you can choose to defy gravity and move towards God's love even though you are far away from knowing the answers to the questions that you have. And you will find that your commitment during this time to follow God will turn into a powerful thing. And looking back, that is when we see God's fulfillment to his plan, his undeserving love to us, using people even in our lives who are ungrateful and maybe wayward. Because when we look back at the big scale of God's plan, we see God has used ungrateful, 
and wayward people to fulfill his plan. Such faith, when we trust God and choose to follow him, when we don't have all the answers. It's a powerful tool God uses, not only in our lives, but in the lives of others. God is faithful, always faithful, though his ways at times can be bewildering. And God's greatness in fulfilling his great plan can be seen in how he uses Jacob and Jacob's family. Let's look, first of all, at, once again, the great big story of God. In the beginning, God created humanity in his image, and humanity had this intimate relationship with God. We read in Genesis 1, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Humankind was God's representative, caring for and governing God's big, beautiful creation. But then our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose sin by rebelling against God, and sinfulness entered all of humanity. We read in Romans 5, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through, through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. The result of this is that God's big, beautiful world became tainted. And it seemed to be spinning out of control and violence and death. What was God going to do? Leave humanity to its own devices? Or step in. God decided to step in. God chose to rescue humanity by focusing on a shepherding nomad by the name of Abraham. And in doing so, God gave a movement that he was going to rescue the world, rescue humanity, through this one family, by blessing them, and reaching the world. We read in Genesis 12, God's promise that he was going to do this. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God made this covenant with Abraham and his descendants. A promise not just to make his name great, not just to be the father of many nations, but a promise to bless the world through him. Later prophets and poets would say that the fulfillment of this would be a messianic king whose reign would bring peace and justice to the world. This descendant of Abraham 
Isaac, and Jacob, we know as Jesus. The very Son of God would leave the glory of heaven and be born into this family line. Jesus would be born perfect, not tainted by sin, and he would stay that way. And yet he suffered his whole life, and even more so on the cross, not because he deserved it, but because we deserved it. He suffered for us. He suffered, died, and then Father God raised him from the dead on the third day so that all groups of people, people from all nations, not just those in Abraham's line, would be given the promise of new life when they come to Jesus. This promise now, that new life could be found, not just in Abraham's line, known as the Jewish line, but to all people, is given when we just come to faith and come to repentance in Jesus. Well, this is God's great big plan, and God worked his plan through imperfect people. That's what gives us hope. Hope when our life seems to be going in an imperfect direction. He's got it covered because this is how God works. Jacob was born grabbing the heel of his elder brother Esau. His name literally means the deceiver, and it would mark his life. And we've chronicled a portion of Jacob's life in this past month. And it reminds us that God works through people who have made big, hairy, bad decisions. And we've seen that in God's interaction with Jacob and his family line means that God doesn't stop loving us. God doesn't stop caring for us. God wants to bring healing to our brokenness in spite of our many bad choices. God in his greatness worked through people just like Jacob to bring a fulfillment to God's promise that never fails. Now, we know this doesn't mean that we are given a get-out-of-jail-free card to go out there and sin freely. No, far from it. But when we do, God is greater. And so in this story of Jacob that we're wrapping up today, we move into who is next in line that God has given this promise and in this covenant too. It's about a 17-year-old by the name of Joseph, the second youngest of 12 sons born to Jacob, the deceiver. He was the father's favorite, given a kingly robe, and definitely not a favorite amongst his brothers. He had two dreams, dreams in which his brothers would bow down to him. And he told his brothers this dream. And how did it make his brothers feel? They hated him even more. 
We have a father showing favoritism. We have an arrogant dreamer. And we have jealous brothers. This is the family that God is going to fulfill his promises through. And it shows the greatness and the patience of a great and wonderful God. How is he going to do this? Well, he continues to work through this family line. We see two parts to this story as it begins. What was true, true of Jacob's character is true about his sons. As they say, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We see this in Jacob's sons as well. The story goes on to say that Jacob's sons, other than Joseph, are out in the field tending to the sheep. And Jacob sends his son Joseph out to see how his brothers are doing. How are the sheep getting along? And he is wearing the favored coat given to him by his father. Well, the brothers see him coming and they devise a plan for Joseph. Here's that dreamer, they said. Let's kill him. Reuben the oldest steps in and Elise temporarily stops the plan. He convinces them not to kill Joseph, but to throw him into the cistern. They strip him of the coat and throw him in. And there is Joseph. So the brothers are sitting around eating dinner, probably laughing as they hear Joseph calling for help from this deep cistern. A caravan is approaching, carrying spices to Egypt. They decide, let's not kill Joseph. Let's sell him and get him out of our hair. And so they sell him to the merchants for 20 pieces of silver. They most likely bound him in chains and led Joseph away into Egypt. Now their problem is done. Is it? Well, now the brothers have to decide. How are they going to tell dear old dad? Do they just say that Joseph didn't appear? Well, Jacob would never just settle for that. He'd send them out in search parties to try to find them. And he would never give up. And they knew that. Do they say that he would just run off on his own? No. Well, how about saying some wild animal killed him? That would certainly put their father at rest. Yeah, let's do that. So they had his coat. They covered it with animal blood. And they brought it to Jacob. And what can we conclude? Dad, some wild animal got him. It broke Jacob. He would never be fully restored from the news. Broken hearted. And so now, every day they'd see their father a little bit different, being reminded of their deception. 
And maybe every year when that anniversary rolled around, they'd be reminded of that deception yet again. So what does God working through this family have to say to us today? How does looking at the great big picture of God, seeing how Jacob plays a small part of it, but yet is part of the big picture, what lesson is there for us? Well, one of the things we see, especially in the Joseph story that we don't have time for, is that when what people have designed for evil, God overcomes with good. Joseph himself says this at the end of his story, chapter 50. But Joseph said to them, his brothers, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done now, the saving of many lives. So though Joseph's brothers meant evil in selling him as a slave, God could use it for good. He is able to still work his plan through the dastardly deed of these ten brothers. Because there are times when things happen to us, when we are attacked with disease, or an accident, or just attacks are made. Where we can look back and see that God's love is still there. We can see in the present that God's love is still with us through the hurt and the pain that might come our way. There are times as we journey through life where it might seem that God is asleep when things happen to us. Like in Psalm 44. It was written at a time when Israel was faithful, and yet they were being crushed. And the psalmist cries out to God, God, are you awake? What a bold prayer to pray. Are you awake? God might seem asleep, just like it seemed like Jesus was asleep in the hold of the boat, not caring what was going on to his followers. But God is not asleep, not at all. He knows what is happening, and he is at work. He's not rushing his way, but using it as part of his plan. God's long-range plan for us is partly unknown because God wants us to walk by faith and not by sight. And he simply says, just plant your hand in mine and let me walk with you through it. And what seems to be dastardly deeds done to us, God is even greater than that. Because 
God uses suffering in his plan for us. In the beginning of the story, commentators seem to agree that Joseph is arrogant and a bit snobbish. Let me tell you about my dream. Let me tell you about my second dream. And then the commentators come in and they say that Joseph needed changing for God to use him to rescue his family and thousands of others a decade down the road when famine would hit the land. God promised that he was going to bring a rescue to humanity through the line of Abraham. But if the family of Abraham dies in this upcoming famine, what about the promise of God? God knew that Joseph needed changing to be the person that Pharaoh would trust to handle the gathering of the grains to feed the nations for the upcoming famine. This is one of the outcomes of suffering. To see suffering as the opportunity for God to change us and to shape us, to grow us into the people he wants us to be so he can use us for what he has in store. God builds us to prepare us for the role he has for us and the small part of his grand plan. He allows disappointment to come. Maybe not getting that job or getting that promotion, getting into that school that we think we need so badly. He allows hardship to come so that he can build character and perseverance. He allows suffering to come so that our faith and trust in him can be built up. As we read in the book of James, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. By faith, God uses suffering and pain to make us more available to be used by him. Sometimes we call this the wilderness, times of great pain. God is sending us in the wilderness. And we know that in the Bible, God uses wilderness to prepare a person or people for something that's upcoming. Maybe it is a role he has for you to play. Maybe it is a role just within your family or a role within your church or a role within his kingdom. Or it might simply be that God wants to continue to shape and mold 
and use you so that in the spiritual realm, God can say, look at my daughter there. Look at how she has responded. What great faith she has. And allow Father God to just revel in how faith matures and grows. And the third lesson for us is that God brings salvation and new life through his plan. He has an outcome in mind. And that is new life for us. God made a promise to Jacob's grandfather that the Messiah would come through his family line. And if that bloodline was stopped, the promise stops. Messiah doesn't come. God delivers Jacob's family so that through that line would come Jesus to bring grace and mercy and healing and hope, not just to Jacob's line, but to any who would come in faith and repentance. Part of the church's great story is that all that the Old Testament leads up to is found in the person of Jesus. And he has great love and grace for us. The Bible says that Jesus went through all that he did on the cross because we are the apple of his eye. Because we hold his deepest affection. Psalm 45 describes the marriage of a king to his bride. Throughout the Psalm of 45, it will say that it is Father God who is the king and his people who are his bride. It paints another picture of the great love that God has for his people and all that he was willing to do. And an interesting thing in this psalm that it says the king is enthralled with his bride not because the bride is lovely but in order to make the bride lovely. He has gone all out not just to make a beautiful wedding but to make a beautiful marriage. And if we ever doubt his delight because we're in the midst of suffering and pain, all we have to do is lift our eyes up to the cross to see the sacrifice Jesus made for us so that he could call us his bride, his lovely one, and help us to grow into the bride he longs for us to be. So yeah, trying to connect the dots of life can be hard at times because life doesn't always go as we plan. And the story of God in the Bible is that God works through fallen people 
and it led all the way to Jesus, and that Jesus is the answer. It's not that Jesus always gives us the answer, but that he is the answer. An important reason why he doesn't give us all the answers all the time is so that we can walk by faith and not by sight to nurture that relationship. So that every Gentile, every Jew, who puts their faith in Jesus can become an heir to the promises that were given way back in the book of Genesis. We read in Galatians, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I invite you to join with me in prayer. Father God, how we bless you so much for your love that would work through such a weaving pattern of a family to carry them on so that your son Jesus could be born. And we thank you for your love that allowed you to offer up your son on our behalf. We thank you that we are the uh, apple of your eye and we know that we are feeling undeserving of it, but yet you make us deserving by your grace and goodness and how we thank you for what you have done in and through us. And it might not be the suffering that we are going through in our life, but we definitely see the suffering going on in this world and how we are longing for answers. And where our heart ends up is, is praying for the Prince of Peace to come. And for the Prince of Peace to enter into broken relationships, broken nations, broken workings, to bring your peace and shalom, and that's what we long for. We lift up our world and the, the challenges that are going on, the hurt that it's going on, the brokenness that we see, and the times we, we just don't know what to pray for, except we know we pray for you to come and to enter in to bring your peace. We pray, Father God, for our nation. And we pray, Lord, that your son, the Prince of Peace, would come, that you would use our elected officials to bring help to the hurting, to be able to bring healing to brokenness, that they would use the resources of this land to care for the people that you love. We pray for our country, that you would help us to work together better 
to serve and care for your people, that important kingdom work. We pray for our faith community. We pray for uh, those who are in need of special care and special grace. We continue to pray for little Calvin Quinlan, that you would continue to bring healing to his little body. We pray that you will be with uh, his parents, with Shauna and Kaylin, and that you will bless them as they continue to balance time at Helen DeVos and time at work and time with their other son, Declan. We pray that you will care and provide for them. We pray that you will be with uh, Sharon Baker's family and their care for Sharon's mom. We pray that you will bring the healing that she needs from uh, the brokenness that she experienced in her recent fall. We pray, Father God, that you will be able to uh, bring her back to her home if she is not already there and to bring the healing and the restoration that she needs. We join with Gail in praying for her family and their spiritual needs and their physical needs as well. And we join with Sue in the same thing as she prays for her family and for uh, her granddaughter, Danielle, as they and her family are looking for a house. We pray that you will be with Pam and Joe and David and provide for the needs that they have. We thank you for their homes and pray that you will continue to bless them there. Father God, we pray for our missionary partners. We pray for the special needs that they have, for we know that they are doing battle for the cause of the kingdom and the cause of your church. We pray on this day and this week for the ministry of World Renew and especially for Steve and Beth Siwalka and their ministry in South Central Africa. We pray that you will bless them as they uh, teach the people around them about uh, better ways of farming, better ways of business, how to help care for their families. We pray that you will bless them as they share your news in the midst of all the agricultural training that they're doing. We pray for our neighbors on Sunview that you will give them a special blessing this week and they would know this blessing comes from you. We lift up the needs of our hearts, the needs that we present to you, that you will hear our prayers and our cries. We pray that you will give to us the grace of your Son and your Spirit to carry us through. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone agreed and said, Amen.